Hope today is going to be a great day for us where we get to learn about the Lord, worship Him, and to hear His Word preached to us. Today will be, uh, in the Sunday School series, will be the second on the series. Uh, Before we get started, I want to do a review of last week's lesson, and then we're going to talk about what we're going to be doing this week. So, last week we observed several definitions for the word providence. In short, within these observations, we recognize that providence, to an extent, is self-defining. Here is my attempt at summarizing all of the definitions we observed last week alongside my studies. Providence is God's active care, protection, guidance, governing, and sustainment of his creatures and creation for his divine purposes. Then we briefly looked at the difference between general providence and special providence. General providence being God's care and protection for all of creation. Special providence being God's care and protection for his church. Next, we will look at an overview for the series moving forward. Once again, I want to reiterate, I'm doing the series as I go so we can readjust far as needed. Finally, we discussed why deism and fatalism is incompatible with the Christian understanding of divine providence. This week, we'll be observing a scriptural overview of question 14, as given to us within the catechism itself, alongside additional scriptural support. As a reminder, the reason why we were doing this is because I showed how the catechism answers in the parts, for example, most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, are all already assumed when talking about providence. When we think providence, we're already thinking about all of these things. So today, just doing the scriptural overview, and then uh, we'll move forward from that. Today's Sunday school is designed to be more interactive than last week. Uh, the, the, the aim that I have in mind here is this is meant to be more thought-provoking since we've already kind of laid the foundation. I want us to kind of think through the catechism question. And then after we observe all of Scripture for today, we're going to actually revisit the same passages the sec- a second time. Uh, so that way, when we have the wholeness of these parts all together, we can kind of see how they build up amongst one another. I don't wish to trick anybody today, so keep this in mind. When you volunteer to read a scripture passage, I want you to hold on to that scripture passage. Because when we revisit it, you're going to read it again. (laughs) All right. So let's go ahead and get started with prayer. Father God, thank you for your holy, divine, most wise most holy, powerfully preserving providence. Your control over the subatomic particles in the universe to the great spinning galaxies, to the multitude of the stars, God, thank you for that. Thank you for your special care for your church. Thank you for your guidance to us. Thank you for electing us to be your children. And thank you for the grace that you've given us today, that we may hear your word and that we may praise you on this Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen. 
Let's first observe the catechism question. What are God's works of providence? Let's read the answer together. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. The first word of the answer here deserves some attention before we survey this catechism with scripture. Let us look at the similarity of our catechism here with the opening chapter of the the opening phrase of chapter five, paragraph one of our confession, God, the good creator of all things. Although not the primary point of James Renihan's observation of chapter five, paragraph one in our confession, he in part observed that the word God here is used not just of the father, but of the Godhead. In other words, as we will see in our scriptural survey, the works of providence comes from the divine activity found within the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we're working through the parts of this catechism. First, God's works of providence are his most holy. Can someone read for me Psalm 145, 17? Once again, just to reiterate, once you get a passage, hold on to it. We're going to revisit these these, uh, passages later. A volunteer for Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, God in all his works. Thank you. Let me ask this question. How does this passage show the works of God's providence being his most holy? Because he's righteous in everything he does. Correct. Just to add on to this, and this is my only commentary bit for the rest of the questions moving forward. This is to help us think through this. Matthew Henry, when speaking about Psalm 145, 17, says this. He does none of them any wrong. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and not unrighteous in any of them. He is holy and acts like himself with a perfect morality in all of his works and all the acts of government. He is just injurious to none, but administering justice to all. The ways of the Lord are equal, though ours are unequal, in giving laws and deciding controversies and recompising services and punishing off offenses. He is incontestably just, and we are bound to own that he is so. I thought that was a good word to share, so I'm taking his word for it. Second, God's works of providence are wise. I have two passages for this. I have Isaiah 28, 29 and Psalm 104, 24. Can I get two volunteers for that? Isaiah 28, 29 and Psalm 104, 24. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. 
He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Thank you. Psalm 104, 24. Thank you, brother. How do these passages show the works of God's providence being wise? Well, he knows everything we need. Correct. So, he knows everything he needs. In the same way, I would say just um, like Matthew Henry noted, God is wise. It's part of who he is. So all of the actions and decisions that he makes from his being is also the most wise. Third, God's works of providence are powerful, preserving. Hebrews 1.3. I love Hebrews, and this is so rich. So remember how I said before we got started, I wanted us to think about providence and the Godhead. And this is very explicit. Not only does this show the divinity of Christ, but it also shows his sovereignty and is powerfully preserving. Let me then ask, once again, How does this passage show the works of God's providence being his most powerful preserving? He upholds the universe. Upholding the universe. I I can't even picture that. Upholds the universe. I mean, even even in the comparison that we have to um, Greek mythology, we have a man holding Atlas, holding the world, Right? But Christ is holding the universe? <laughs> Incomprehensible by comparison. Amen. Fourth, God's works of providence are governing all his creatures and their actions. I have a few passages for this. I have four. Psalm 66, 6 through 7. Psalm 103, 19. Proverbs 16, 9. And Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Psalm 66, 6 through 7. Turn the sea into dry land, they passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in hell. 
who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious act exalt human, exalt themselves. Thank you, brother. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Thank you, sister. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And finally, Matthew 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. Thank you, brother. How do these passages show the works of God's providence as governing all his creatures and all their actions? So God directing directing how everything goes and that, you know, even though and we have kind of two passages to say this, even though man has his own plans and his own ways, it's God who directs that. I'm going to touch on this later in the series. Really famous Providence passage, right? Um, for what you plan for wickedness, God planned for righteousness. You have the famous passage at the end of Genesis. Anything else? Any other insights? We have a few more passages. Well, it always makes me feel so comforted to know that if God even cares about one little sparrow, how much more he cares about us. You know, to even number the hairs on our heads. The, the same passage you're talking about, Matthew 10, within the entire passage here. Pastor Thomas actually preached on this passage a while back, about six months to a year ago, uh, when he was going through the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon saved me from years of anxiety. Just gone, almost. Um, I'm not saying that... There aren't little moments, but I go back to that sermon because there's one part in that sermon where it said that God, the pastor Tom said that God is not like the pagan gods. So whereas you have these pagan gods who we're going to go on and use a catechism answer here. We have other gods who are not powerful preserving. They're unstable in all of their ways. And they looked on their gods and they go, I don't even know if I can trust my God. But we have a God who cares even about the sparrows. And remember what we talked about special providence. How much more does he care about his church? Powerful preserving. All of his creatures and all of their actions. Now we're going to revisit the same passages. But we're going to have all of this together. I'm going to do the the first passage. And then we're going to slowly go down them as kind of, I'm going I'm to be the example here for how I want us to think through these things. So Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. 
As we have already observed in this passage, God's works are his most holy. But are all of his works also his most wise? We would say yes. God can do a work. Can God do a work without wisdom? Surely we would say no. The Lord's kind works are both holy and wise. But not only are they holy and wise, is God's works of powerful preserving also a holy work? Well, we would say yes. So then, let me ask this. Is God's works of governing and all their actions wise, holy, and powerfully preserving? Yes. You see then how when I was talking about this last week, that the scope of this question at here with the answer somewhat assumes the rest. When we talk about any of these passages or when we think about providence, there's this somewhat assumption that happens that God's providence is preserving. It is most wise, most holy. He is caring for all of his creatures and creation. And I want us to think about that as we revisit these passages that we looked at uh, prior as we broke it down into the sections. Isaiah 28, 29, who had that one? Wilton, could you reread that for me, brother? This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Mm. How does that encompass, do you think, brother, the entire catechism answer? I look at it in the wonderful in counsel. There's not another word that would describe a perfect counsel outside of the word wonderful, right? And there's not another way to describe wisdom outside of excellent, right? And if you do anything less than excellent, it's not wisdom. There's some kind of fallacy in that. If there's anything outside of wonderful counsel, that's not really counsel. It's just words, right? And if you look at the world, they leave out so much, right? The world would think humans are equal to sparrows, Mm -hmm. right? The world would say that, well, God can't really be all these things. But when you look at scripture and you look at eternity past, he is wonderful. He is perfect. And you can see it in his creation. I try to do what you did. I think you want all of us to do that. (laughs) Brother, it's... We're coming together as a church, observing his word and reflecting on his providence, which you shared with us was, was excellent. Thank you. Psalm 104, 24, who had this passage? Thank you, brother. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So then, brother, how does this passage reflect the, uh, the catechism answer here? Well, I think, you know, the two key words in that verse is manifold and wisdom. And, you know, I guess wisdom is the biggie because God just didn't do this by happenstance. It was his wisdom that produced the providence for all of us with everything that we do. That's kind of the way I see it. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you for that insight, brother. So God's, God's wisdom provides for us. Hebrews 1.3, who had this passage? Could you read that again, sister? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the express 
nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for his sins, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's so much to say about this passage. <laughs> it's it's so reassuring, it's so rich. Sister, could you give us a very brief insight? <laughs> well, first of all, the he in here is talking about the uh, God-man. Um, it's reach back to, to Jesus, of course, Jesus was the rest of God. But he was not another, he was, the, he was not an imposter, he was exactly the imprint of God. He was there when he created all things, and he is there and he completed his task that God sent him to earth for, and that was for the purification of sin. And at that point, then now he is now and forevermore with the majesty of sitting at the right hand or at the majesty on high. Thank you, sister. So we see in this passage Christ being, being God, making the foundations of the earth, and after his resurrection, sitting at the right hand of God, powerfully preserving all of creation by his wise counsel, as we read earlier in the Psalms, pr- protecting his church for the, end, for the end goal of his glory. There's a purpose in mind. Thank you, sister. Who had Psalm 66, 6 through 7? He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And how do you believe this passage reflects the catechism answer? These people were in an impossible situation, and he did, you know, the most unlikely thing and turned land, you know, wet land into dry land and saved his people. Not only saved his people, but he destroyed probably the most powerful army um, in the world at that time. So, I mean, I think it just shows that it doesn't matter uh, the, the perceived odds against us. And, and how, you know, everything's falling in around us, it doesn't matter because God's in complete control and he will do his work regardless of how we perceive, you know, the odds. Amen. So regardless of the odds, God will preserve his people to make about his ends. And it doesn't matter, even if there's the greatest army like Egypt, he can pass us through um, for his greater, greater purposes, whatever that looks like. So, um, that, was, that was a way of illustration. Thank you, brother. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And how does this reflect the catechism answer? Everything God does, he does in Holiness and 
He establishes his throne. Um, I think it's the word establish, I think, um, I think the prayer is preserving because it's, it's an act of, of power. Um, as established, it feels very, sounds very, um, it has the connotation of, I'm trying to think of the word to use, but um, solidity and like firmness, and it's it's settled. It's not up for debate or question. Mm-hmm. So it's grounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So God God establishing establishing His throne is is grounded like a tree with roots. It's not going to go anywhere. And with this validity of His throne being grounded. Um, we know that he can preserve us and he governs all of us from that throne, which cannot move. It cannot be touched. God sits on it. Thank you, sister. Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. How does this reflect the catechism answer? <clears throat> Amen. Thank you, brother. So we have a distinction between the creator and the creature where, you know, we're, we're finite. We're, we're, we're even, even in our most, in our most wise and our most holy actions, it is like filthy rags in comparison to God. And thank God we have a God who not only provides for us, but he guides our steps under his providence for a means, for a purpose, and he guides us through that. Finally, we have Matthew ten twenty nine through thirty one. Who had this passage? I think Miss Bunny did. No. no, somebody else answered. Oh, no, that was an answer. Sorry. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head, of your head, are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay. And uh, what was the, how would you reflect on that with the catechism answer? Um, similar to what you would say about Pastor Thomas's sermon. I wasn't here for that, but uh, I've been through this before where um, control, right? I think by God's providence, something as small as a bird would, um, I would have control over, you know, does not... Um, one of them followed the ground apart from the Father, right? And then he goes on to his creatures, you know, to, to his creation, to humans. Um, he says, you, I know your hairs in your head. And that, you know, that's a lot. 
There's a lot of hairs on my head. <laughs> right? And he's ordained that. So I would just say it's, it's a very uh, great example of his control, his providence, and just everything. Thank you, brother. So once again, we have a God who we're going back to special providence, that special care for his people. And you notice the the hair follicles on our head. In the words of Wilton, I have a lot of hair on my head. (laughs) And that he knows that and he cares about that. And he has a and he has that special providence over his church. And I'm asking this rhetorically. I'm going to answer it. And. Is his special care for his church his most wise and his most holy? Yeah, of course. Of course. I hope as, as we've surveyed these questions, I, what I've done is uh, in the catechism, if you have it, your own copy of the catechism or if you go online, there are scripture references in the catechism as well as in our confession. And what I have done is I've used those scripture examples to help us think through that. I've also used additional, like I said, additional scripture references as well. And I hope that we can now see that when we think about providence, it somewhat assumes the whole. When we think about God's special care for his people or God's care for the world, it assumes his providence. We're always thinking about God's providence. So I want to talk a bit about uh, Benjamin Badome's book for a second. Uh, I don't know if uh, people who have gone through this series has talked about this book. It's called The Scriptural Exposition of the Baptist Catechism. This is written by a mid-18th century Baptist who is writing about the catechism we're reading right now. Um, this, is, this is the popcorn method. <laughs> the entire book is saturated in the word of God. I want to read an excerpt from this so you guys can understand what uh, I mean when I say that. Question 14 writes, is God's providence universal? When he's talking about question 14, excuse me, he, he writes, is God's providence universal? Yes. His kingdom ruleth over all, Psalms 103, 19. Does it extend to all the worlds? Yes. Whatsoever pleased the Lord that did he in heaven and in earth. Psalm 135, 6. And to all creatures, yes. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, 3. Does it extend to all inanimate creatures? Yes. He binds the sweet influences of, I'm not going to say this right, Pletus and, the, the, and looses the bands of Orion. These are star clusters. Job 38, 31. And he continues. And he does this for... About two and a half pages, very brief read. I have to admit that the English in this book is very old, and sometimes it is confusing, but it is a treasure. If you want to go through the catechism as a part of your devotion, just you know, for example, if you want to just tag this to the end of your scripture reading, so you read your three to four chapters of scripture a day, and you tag this at the end, and just look at one question. And it'll take you a while to go, you know, to go through this entire book. But what's so nice about a book like this is it's not like an exhaustive commentary. You're not going through a historical survey or a systematic theology. 
It's just all he's doing is he's bringing you to the word of God by way of catechism. So what we did today um, is, is kind of what's going on in this book. So if you if this is actually also published by Solid Ground Christian Books, I'm sure uh, some of us are familiar with that publishing company. Pastor Thomas talks very highly of them. So if you want to add something like what we had today in your daily devotion, I, I would highly recommend this book. Finally, as a part of administration, uh, I, I've been informed by the military that I have a medical examination next week that I must attend to, so I will not be here. I've asked Seth to actually provide us a lesson on God's providential care for his church by providing elders. I've asked Seth to provide this lesson because I think it's something that would be good for the church, something that we can reflect upon and think about as Pastor Thomas is seeking retirement. I don't want to spoil too much of the lesson, but I, did, I didn't ask Seth to do, talk about too much, but I did ask him to at least talk about this other than the topic at hand, of course, about the dangers of treating online forums and online personalities as a replacement for pastoral care. I think that's a danger in the church. Why it's a danger, come to next week's lesson and, and Seth will talk to you guys about that. Let me uh, end this recording.